I remember it says like, are you interested in men or women? And I clicked men. And that's when I had my first thought of like, oh, like I could click women. I didn't. Hi, I'm Chelsea B. And for those of you who don't know me, let me introduce myself. I'm not a life coach, a therapist, or a certified anything really, except like CPR and first aid. <laughs> Heck, I don't even have a college degree. I am, however, a regular old human with a huge heart and problems, just like you. If you're looking for a podcast to solve all of life's mysteries and show you how to become super successful, you're in the wrong place. This is Beyond the Picket Fence, a podcast that tells the behind the scenes of people's lives to remind you that no one is perfect. This is officially your invitation to take a break from trying to keep it all together. Let's get real. I am here with Carling, who is the podcaster and the host of the show. I did not sign up for this and she was so nice and let me be on her show. And now she's here to tell her story on my show. And you are like the best interviewer ever. So hopefully I can live up to your awesome standard. <laughs> my God. Well, maybe it's in your editing, but your episodes are so good. Oh, thank you. It definitely is my editing because when I talk in person, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'll go back and put a beautifully thought out thought over that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so Carling, will you just introduce yourself? Like if we were just to me as strangers, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Carling. I am a queer identifying almost 40-year-old. People keep teasing me because I say 30-something and they're like, Carling, in like six months, what are you going to do? Because I'm going to be 40. So I'm going to have to change it up. But I am a 30-something-year-old. Um, yeah, Canadian. And I just love sharing my story and hearing people's stories. And I'm just on a mission to, I don't know, connect with people and have people connect with each other. Yes, I love that about you because I feel like our mission is really similar. We met through a community called ASA for female podcasters. And as I heard her introduce herself and her idea, I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so similar. And it's great because we need an army of people to collect all these stories because there's millions of humans and each one has an incredible story. So I'm happy yeah. to be on the, the team of story collectors. <laughs> yeah, we need it. I thought I was going to go into like true crime podcasting or something, but it's oversaturated. Everybody does it. And I think ultimately we leave the world a better place if we're open to sharing our experiences. Yes. So that brings me to what are your experiences when we were deciding on what we were going to talk about? You sent me a whole laundry list of experience, oh, which literally yeah. anyone could do. People always are like, how do you find these people? I'm like, I just ask someone on the street to start talking and they will have a laundry list of issues they've gone through. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think people downplay the importance of their stories, I find. And I'm always like, your story matters. Even if you don't think it's relevant or, you know, I don't know, interesting enough, I promise it is. But yeah, the thing that the story that I'm really passionate about is um, about how I kind of came out of the closet, then went back in then married a man that didn't work out so well. And, you know, sort of looking back on that experience with this 2020 hindsight and really questioning sort of like the, um, like the, what do I call it? Sort of the like guidebook that society gives us as humans that says, this is what will make you accepted and happy and successful. And I don't know if I just got the wrong guidebook, but it did not work for me. <laughs> 
So that was the quick version of the story. I'm so intrigued by this idea because the unwritten yet followed manual for societal norms is a very curious subject to me. We somehow fall into the status quo, then one day wake up and realize these crazy rules we are following are not enforced by anyone. It's all just a scam. Yeah. And I don't like I don't fault my parents. You know, I think everybody is just doing the best with the information that they have. And so, you know, with that sort of idea or belief in mind, I sort of say, you know, we can only do our best until we know better and then do better. So I'm here to just sort of make people think about something in a different way. Carling struggled with an overarching theme in her life for so long, especially as a kid. And that theme being... I was just never quite enough. And I was never skinny enough. I was never funny enough. I was never, you know, artistic enough and and all of these things. And I was just like, there's this overarching theme of just not feeling like enough. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'll set the scene. It's 1983, uh, you know, for some cultural context, um, Michael Jackson's Thriller was released that year. And the very famous TV show MASH had its finale. And it was like the most watched TV show in history. And um, that is also the year that I was born. And my parents were high school sweethearts. They met when they were 14 and 15. And they got married at 18 and 19. And, you know, they just started doing the thing that their parents did and the parents before them did. They got married, they bought a house, they, you know, got jobs, and then they started having kids because that's just, that's that's what you did. Carling is the youngest of two kids, and from a very young age, she remembers so desperately just wanting to fit in. But I just never quite did, and I never figured out why. And, you know, growing up as the youngest of two, I tried to do everything that my sister did. And so my sister learned piano, and so I tried to learn piano, you know, I never quite got the hang of it. And my sister was obsessed with New Kids on the Block. So I was obsessed with New Kids on the Block. And, you know, I was pretty convinced I was going to be the future Joey McIntyre for anybody who's <laughs> remembers the New Kids on the Block. And yeah, I was just always trying to fit in and I just never quite could. And then in grade Six, I, you know, by the time I was in grade six, I really realized, I think that if I just did exactly what everybody else did, I started fitting in a little bit better. Um, I was bullied really, really bad. You know, I was called fat. I was spit on. I was, I'm so thankful that we didn't live with like cell phones and social media, you know, because I could go home at the end of the day and just turn it off. And I'm so thankful for that because I can't even imagine kids these days that get bullied. But yeah, I was just bullied. And even when I was trying to fit in, I was just always missing the mark a little bit. And then when I was in grade seven, I got my very first boyfriend. His name was Alan. And <laughs> um, he still listens to my podcast. He's very sweet. He now lives in Ireland. And, you know, that was really one of the first times that I got to experience this, this acceptance, this belonging, you know, my dad finally teased me the way that he always teased my sister and talked to me. And, you know, it was just this overwhelming sense of like, oh, I'm doing something right. Finally, this is this is the thing I should be doing. And, 
you know, I just kind of ignored the fact that it just didn't feel right. I didn't like it, but I was doing it because everybody else was doing it. And then at 14, so just just after Alan, I got my very first job and I was a hostess at Perkins Family Restaurant and Bakery. And (laughs) um, I... You know, I was so excited. I was the youngest one there, but everybody was so kind. And that's when I met AJ. And AJ was a tomboy and confident and funny. And for the first time that I can remember, you know, my cheeks flushed and my palms sweat. And I got nervous when she looked at me and she thought I was funny and I thought she was the greatest. And she was really the first queer person that I had ever met or really seen, you know, I joke that the first real lesbians that I ever saw or queer people was on Jerry Springer. And I don't know if you ever watched that show, but I mean, not only did it not age well, I don't think it was great even back then, but that is where lesbians and queer people were. They were the freaks, the weirdos, the, you know, really dramatic ones. And I knew that that wasn't me, but that was my only reference to what you know, maybe a queer person was. And so when I met AJ, my whole world was rocked. You know, at 14, I couldn't believe that somebody could make me feel this way. That was the first time I felt sort of right. And I felt whenever I was with her, I felt the most like myself that I had ever felt in my whole, you know, all of 14 years of life. AJ was 16. And as Carling puts it, way out of the closet. But as young love does, it didn't last. But Carling did confide in her stepmom. I remember so clearly sitting in a minivan with my stepmom and I was so close with her and I said, Louise, please don't tell dad, but I think I'm a lesbian. And like, spoiler alert, she told my dad. And by the time Carling was 15 and headed to high school, she found herself being sent to a very Catholic high school. So I went from like public education to Catholic education and you know, I didn't grow up religious. And so that was a really big culture shock. And my first day of high school, they did like a full mass and I had literally never been to church and I had no idea what was going on or what was happening. Um, But yeah, I, you know, it's like my parents never talked to me about being gay was wrong. I think that they, you know, I try to give them compassion when I think back to them parenting 14 year old me. And I think, They didn't want a hard life for me and they didn't want me to struggle and they didn't want me to face hardships. And I had been bullied. And what would that mean if, you know, now I'm a lesbian? And so I think my parents did the best with what they knew. And that was to sweep it under the rug, not talk about it and send me to a Catholic school. I'm so grateful for Carling's grace for her parents. I am from a very religious background and there is a lot of her around this topic specifically. I love that Carling took a second to try to see where her parents were coming from. Do I always agree with how parents choose to address this situation in their homes? No. But do I 100% believe most parents love the crap out of their kids and are trying their darn tootin' hardest? Yes, I do. Can you take a break from your beliefs for a moment and imagine that you so deeply believe to your core that marriage is only valid between a man and a woman and you will not be able to have your beloved child with you in heaven if perhaps they are gay. This is devastating. I love my kids so much, and I want to be with them for eternity. When parents try to pray it away or whatever else, I do believe it is a coping mechanism 
And I would argue it is coming from a place of love. We need to be educated on less damaging ways to care for these kids. But you cannot convince me that these parents don't love their child. Okay, back to Carling, who is now at Catholic high school and basically being handed this guidebook on how to be socially accepted and successful. And what she desperately wants, how to fit in. Which, as we know, has always been her dream. And I, you know, treated it like my Bible. I just thought... Okay, if I just check off these boxes, this is the key to happiness. This is the key to success. This is how I will get, you know, my parents' love and acceptance and family and and all of this stuff. And I sort of just pushed down any idea that I could be or have anything else. I literally, it's like I just put my brain back in the closet and I thought, well, that was a good time. Moving on now. And... You know, I just jumped right back into doing everything that everybody else was doing. And, you know, I'm glad I didn't end up with some like, I don't know, drug addicts. But like, you know, I was just I was with a really good group of theater kids. And, you know, we just did life. And I didn't really date a lot in high school. Um, And then, you know, by the time I was in my early 20s, I... I think I was a bridesmaid something like, I don't know, five times in a year or so, like everybody was getting married. And I remember just thinking like, okay, well, I guess I'll like, I guess I should probably take this seriously and start looking for someone. It was just, it became like a, it was like a check box on a to-do list is Mm -hmm. the best way to describe it. And so, you know, through the beauty of technology, I joined plenty of fish and (laughs) like online dating was like pretty new. Still, there was no apps or anything. It was all just on like websites. And that is where I met who would become my future husband. And I just, you know, it was like instantly I was ripe for the picking, I say, for the worst marriage ever because I was desperate to fit in. I had low self-esteem. I just wanted to belong. And I was willing to conform to whatever I needed to, to get that sense of belonging and approval. And so, you know, I I ended up marrying a super abusive sociopath who had been to jail and I didn't know. I mean, like, I feel like if, you know, in fairness, if he had told me on the first date, there wouldn't have been a second date. <laughs> He, I mean, as soon as I started dating him, as a lot of abusive relationships happen that I didn't know at the time, you know, one of their tactics is to move the relationship fast. And so before you knew it, we were moving in together. And then, you know, his behavior would get a little bit worse. But I would think to myself, well, you know, it seems extreme to break up with somebody over this because we live together. That would be really complicated. So we'll work through it, you know, and then we bought a house together and then his behavior got a little bit worse. And so I thought, well, you know, it is pretty bad, but like, what are we going to do? We signed a mortgage together. I should probably just work through it. And while this is all going on, my whole world shifts and I'm suddenly, you know, I'm getting that, um, that, you know, uh, acceptance and celebration and, you know, my dad was calling me to ask how he was and they were making plans to go golfing. And my mom was so excited to talk to me about it. And my sister was so thrilled. And I was suddenly invited on double dates and dinner dates. And, you know, I I was like part of this crowd that I had been on the outside of. And it's really easy to 
to sort of like look past red flags, you know, when you're being given so much positive feedback, because how bad could it be if everybody was so happy for me and everybody was celebrating you know, it's weird to look at it in hindsight and to kind of, you know, compare it. But I can literally remember, you know, finding out he was looking at porn on my computer and messaging girls under my name because he would log into my, I don't know, maybe it was Facebook at the time. And but as me saying that I wanted him to have a threesome, you know, and I would just I would just be like, ah, like stupid men. You know, I just thought I just accepted it. And, you know, I said, like, I don't like this. We shouldn't, you know, you can't do this. And then he'd say sorry and we'd move on and he'd maybe buy me a gift or do something nice. And then we'd move on and then, you know, it just get a little worse, a little worse, a little worse. And one of the other things that I never saw was I never saw healthy relationships. And even, you know, my parents got divorced and it was all very, we didn't talk about it. It was just decided. I didn't know what the problem was. And so I didn't really have relationships to compare to. At this point, they had been together a couple years and were living together. Carling was working at a huge outdoor festival and in front of 2,500 people, including their friends and family. He got on stage and got down on one knee and asked me to marry him. And like, nobody's going to say no. You know what I mean? Like, it was almost like I was trapped and... I said yes, and I just remember this, like, pit in my stomach, but, like, 2,500 people were cheering and clapping and celebrating and, you know, saying congrats, and then before you knew it, we were all off to a big family dinner, and by the end of the weekend, we had had a date set, we had had, you know, a list of venues to go look at, and I sort of refer to it as this, like, self-propelled, or, like, it's like a, you're put on this freight train, and you're propelled by all of your friends and family and society towards the altar. You know, and and even, I think even in bad or happy situations, I don't know, Chelsea, what your experience was like, but when you got engaged, you're suddenly showered in gifts and money and love and excitement and you're the center of everybody's world. And that feels so good. And if it's a good, healthy relationship, that's really lovely. But I never felt like I had the opportunity. Nobody ever asked me, is this what you really want? It was just assumed. Like, of course, this is what you do. You, you know, meet someone, you get married, you buy a house, you get an SUV, you get a dog. Like, those are the things that you do. And those things are celebrated without question. And, like, acceptance and fitting in was more important to me than that little voice inside me that just was filled with dread and shame and fear. Oh my gosh. That is so sad because here, like when you live the way you want to, you're still even further on the outside, not getting that what humans need, love, attention, whatever. Yeah. And then you're doing all these things that are making you feel dead inside. And all of a sudden you're getting the love and stuff that you wanted. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. It was, you know, and I didn't know at the time. I, you know, I think people, do what they need to do to get to fill that what they need. And what I needed was love and acceptance and praise and, you know, all of these things. And, you know, my sister was really this like golden child who did everything right and was a social butterfly and boy crazy and so talented and, you know, all of these things. And I was just trying to get the same kind of acceptance that I saw her getting. 
so before I knew it, we're like trying on wedding dresses and planning invites and, you know, we get married and I don't, you know, I think I'm agnostic at best. I don't know what I believe, but somebody, the universe or God or somebody was trying to tell me like, girl, don't do this because we woke up late. Like none of me or my bridesmaids alarms went off. The limo guide driver got uh, lost going to the church. And then as I walked through the doors of the church, so again, I don't know why we got married in a church because we weren't religious, but <laughs> here, we, like here we were, it yes, was just like a, society yeah, it was just like a Christian church. That's obviously what you do. And so we like, I like walk through the doors with my mom and dad on either side and this arch falls on us. Shut up. Yeah. It literally just like collapsed in front of us. So we couldn't move forward. And everybody was like, <gasps> and I just remember like, we kind of like laughed and then stepped over it and then went to the aisle. And I think that was like the universe or whoever's sign of being like, this is it. We got to stop or you can't do this. And <laughs> so, you know, I got married and the wedding itself was a great time. People to this day say it was one of the most fun weddings. And we only ended up being married nine months because he was a terribly abusive, horrible human. And I think I just kind of snapped one day. And after I left him is when I learned that he had been to jail for, I think he went to jail for three years for stalking and harassing women. Mm. I know this is like a whole other episode I'll come back and share. But, and he spent the next like 10 years stalking and harassing me. And he ended up going back to jail and it was this whole big thing. And he did this thing where the best example I can give is like, he would say, start tickling me. And, you know, it's tickling is funny if you're both into it. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, that's enough. And then, you know, it, it kind of dies down and you give a signal that you're done. But he would just not take that signal and just like push it further, push it further, push it further until I, like, I remember one time I physically like grabbed a chair and held it up. And something switched in him and he just looked at me and he said, I can't believe you would hit me with a chair. We were just having fun. Like, and, like, and then I learned about gaslighting, you know, and suddenly I was apologizing for taking it too far and not knowing how to have fun. So it was like, I didn't get hit. I didn't have a black eye. This is such an important conversation to have. Why do we have to have black eyes and bruises to let ourselves validate abuse? Abuse isn't always being hit. There is a lot of other ways to abuse or be abused. And Carling touches on this. I think it goes both ways. I think Our women men. can be abusive. Yeah. yeah, you know, but I think it was like a manipulation and it was this cycle of he would do something bad, like uh, like message somebody sexually explicit content or look at porn or, you know, I don't know, you know, name something. You know, I found out later he had stolen from my family at my sister's wedding. He stole from the card box. He just took a handful of cards and I didn't know we didn't know it was him. We blamed the hotel staff oh um, and you know, we think it was about $5,000. And the only way that we knew that it had happened is when we were opening gifts the next day. And, you know, I'm sitting there as the maid of honor writing down who gave what. And at the end of it all, I was like, oh, like grandma didn't get you anything? Like, that seems weird. 
And we're like, oh, your best friend from childhood didn't get you anything? That seems weird. And we had to call these people and say, like, did you get her something? Which is so awkward. And then, you know, most people put cash in or gift cards and like it's gone. And so the way he got away with it was he would play these like it's called like sports select. I'm sure it's also in the state. It's like a gambling, like sports gambling or betting. And he would just say he was playing sports select and he was really good at sports. So he was winning. Like, I don't know. I know nothing about sports. I was like, that's amazing. Like, you know, and again, my family doesn't talk about things. So they had, you know, had a few instances where they wondered, but I seemed happy, but I was seeming happy because they seemed happy. You know, it was like this vicious cycle on that end too. And yeah, so I mean, he was like manipulative and there was a lot of like sexual abuse. And I mean, that stems from like, I'm a lesbian. I'm not attracted to men. I didn't really want to have sex with him. That was not always an option, you know, like, and so, you know, we don't learn about things like marital rape, like wives and husbands can say no. And I think in a, we grew up in this era of, well, no, like, I'm married. Like, I, you know, it's just this, like, you don't think it's abuse because they're married to you. So, you know, I, th I think it's like such a broad, important topic. And I think it really changes how I talk to people, friends, young people about relationships. And it's not about like, is this abuse? It's about, does this make you uncomfortable? Do you like it? Are you unhappy about it? And like, it doesn't have to fit into this, you know, you don't have to call it abuse to just say like, I don't like this. I'm going to make an exit and that's okay. Yes. You know, because I think when when you're trying to quantify like what type of abuse people can, I never probably for years after would have said like it was abusive. I never would have said that because I just like that felt too extreme. But if I had listened to that little voice, like the first time I caught him messaging other girls and I said, oh, like that doesn't align with my values, my ethics, and then made a decision to leave. But because it wasn't abuse, you know, like I think it just really makes you question things differently. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. Like I'm not allowed to leave because he's not hitting me. Yeah. Yeah. You're actually allowed to leave whenever you want. <laughs> like, yeah. Like if he doesn't, if he chews and you don't like the way he chooses food, like you, you could, you can leave for anything. If you want. And to. I, Right. Yeah. Like it's your own life. But I think, you know, as a society, both religious and not religious, I think it's so important to really highlight the fact that I didn't grow up religious. And I think a lot of people feel like they get pushed into marriage or trapped into marriage because of religion. But like that wasn't my case. I was just trying to fit in. So it's not even religion. It's just society. Yeah. So did you know you were lesbian when you got married? Like ever since you yeah. met AJ, you knew you were lesbian. Like, I think I just put it so far back in my head that I never even considered it. But when I look back at like, you know, I went to Europe out of high school and um, I would I would have said that I was interested in guys. But I remember like I called them like friend crushes, like I'd be obsessed with this girl. And I didn't it's like I lost the language because I was too scared to admit what that might mean. So I'd be like, oh, my God, I have such a friend crush on her. Like, I just want to hang out with her and not realizing that, like, oh, no, that's actually like a crush. And I was just like mimicking behaviors towards guys that I was like, oh, everyone thinks he's cute. Oh, my God, he's so cute. Like, I would just fall into it because it was easier to put on that act and be a flirt 
and, you know, wear eyeliner and heels and skirts and all of these things because that got me the attention that everybody told me I should want and equaled happiness and acceptance. And so I just did it. I was just checking those boxes off. And I just thought like, okay, if I just check off enough boxes, eventually, you know, this like dread in my body, this deadness inside will just go away, I guess. But it didn't. But it didn't. Let's take a quick break. Hey, I'm Gabby Wilkinson, and I am the creator of Dear God, I'm Sad. Dear God, I'm Sad is a brand that I created with a mission to craft a healthier and more holistic relationship between mental illness and Christianity. One of the ways that I'm doing this is by hosting a weekly podcast called the Dear God, I'm Sad podcast. So join me in this mission as I interview experts and contemporary scholars in the field of mental illness, faith, and the intersection of the two. Share stories from people who have experiences with mental illness and faith and provide my own thoughts as a chemically imbalanced Christian. All this with the hopes that these conversations and stories and thoughts diminish the stigma of mental illness and faith spaces and promote healthy responses to mental illness by faith leaders. You can find me and keep up with the brand at DearGod underscore I'm sad on Instagram. And you can listen to the Dear God I'm Sad podcast everywhere you get podcasts. So join me for this ride as we foster in this new age of Christianity where we respond to mental illness with compassion and kindness and goodness and beauty. So I will see you next Monday. Seriously, go follow Dear God, I'm Sad. She is so amazing and I just love her stuff. Okay, back to Carling, who just got divorced and now dating websites have turned into dating apps. So Carling downloaded one of those apps and... I remember it says like, are you interested in men or women? And I clicked men and that's when I had my first thought of like, oh, like I could click women. I didn't. And I was like, I don't really want to date after this experience. So then I decided to get a personal trainer and um, her name was Nick. And she was a confident tomboy, totally out lesbian, so cute. And I remember... Like we had so much fun together. And I remember thinking, how do I tell her that one time I dated a girl? Like I wanted to be like relevant. And, you know, I don't I think it was very awkward the way I came up with it, but I somehow told her in the middle of, I don't know, bench press or something. And, you know, fast forward a few months, we had a tour at a fair and like pro tip, never sleep with your trainer because it doesn't end well. <laughs> But, you know, that that was that sort of like awakening relationship where I was like, oh, no, like I am totally a lesbian. And, you know, I remember going on like Pinterest and typing in lesbian, but then deleting it and not saving any pins because I didn't want anyone to see it. And, you know, it was just this weird like I didn't know how to navigate re coming out because the first time didn't go so well. And. So I kind of started off kind of quietly. I joined like this group called Meetup. I think it's worldwide. And you can like go to meetup.com, type in any interest. And I literally typed in lesbian and I found like the Calgary lesbian meetup group. And so I just started going to like coffees, like group coffees and, you know, pub nights and all of this. And then, you know, it came time to kind of re coming out to my family. And it was so interesting because you know, maybe they had learned 
some, but you know, I think I were still dysfunctional. And I remember my sister who converted to Catholicism and was very, very, very Catholic, like Catholic 2.0. I didn't even know you could be this Catholic. And I remember telling her and she was like, well, you know, you got to love the sinner, not the sin. And I was like, oh, okay. Like that was her accepting me. Like she could accept me as her sister, but like would forgive my sin. And, you know, like her husband didn't want me and my partner around her kids that much. And we weren't allowed to sleep over. And, you know, so that was like kind of weird. And then I told my dad and I remember him saying, are you sure it's not just because, you know, you had one bad relationship with your husband? And I was like, no, like, I'm pretty sure. And then he said, okay, but I just want you to promise that if you, if, if the right guy does come along, you'll consider it. And I was like, mm, okay, I, yeah, I guess like, I mean, he hasn't yet, but you know, it's been however many years now or decades. And then when I told my mom, it was like, she, it was like with all three of my family members, it had to be this like give and take. It wasn't just we love you. We want you to be happy. It had to have like a bargain or something. And my mom said, okay, well, you know, that's fine, but you can't judge me if I want to date younger guys. And I remember just thinking like, A, I don't think I've ever judged you for wanting to date younger. Like, go get yours. I like, I, it, it was like, it was like, she just couldn't, they couldn't just accept me. They had to make it a condition. Uh, yeah, I can't lie and say that because my first experience with uh, homosexuality, I think, was I was a freshman and my cousin, my favorite cousin came out gay to me and I was depressed for like two weeks and I couldn't understand it because I had been told my whole life that, you know, he wasn't going to get to heaven. And yeah. I was like brokenhearted because this person I love so much. Yeah. And it took it took a long time because he told me when I was a freshman and then just like the last three years, I'd say we've been starting to like, I'll ask him about his partners and stuff like that. Like it took me, my life falling apart to really, really accept and love him as he is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was, cause I, we always knew like we loved each other and we were there for each other, but there was always this, we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You it's like this mean? weird, like, oh, we don't want to make it weird. So we just like, won't, won't talk about talk it. About it. Whenever he came to visit, it was like just him. I think sometimes every once in a while I'd ask like, do you have a boyfriend or anything? And his, and then my, his sister is lesbian and they got, she got married to her partner. And then I don't know where I changed along the way, but yeah, it definitely was like a, it definitely was a, I have to tell my brain a certain story yeah. to be able to let this be because I want you in my life, but everything has told me that that's not allowed. And so I don't know how, so I really think it's just people trying to figure out how they're going to make this work in their life, in their brain. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's it. And I think, you know, we have to give ourselves grace. And as, you know, somebody like coming out with anything, I think you also have to give people space to react and know that their initial reaction might not be perfect, but people can learn and people can change. It doesn't take away from the hurt, though, at first. The pain on both sides. 
when my best friend came out to me and she's like, I'm bi. I'm like, okay. And yeah, like cool. that was so much better. I'm yeah. Like, Why couldn't I do that for my cousin who I love so much? But I, I wasn't there yet, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair though, to like own that and say, yeah, I didn't know better, but now I do. And so now you're doing better. And I think like, what a beautiful world if nobody has to come out of anywhere. Like, why not, why not just like, just be. And like, if I bring somebody, you know, like if one of my stepkids comes home and says, oh, like this is my girlfriend or boyfriend or what, like, who cares what their gender is? Like, are they kind to you? Are you kind to them? Do you respect each other? You know, are you, are you living within your morals and ethics and what you believe in? And are you being safe? And like, those things are important. So what's you know? your advice for someone like me who that question of, are you living within your morals and ethics? So for me, that wouldn't be my morals and ethics, right? Yeah. So how, how do we create bridges of love and compassion and acceptance? Because I would hate for someone to come to me and say like, you have to let homosexuals get married in your temple that like the temple for the LDS right. church is all about family and they believe yeah. family is between a woman and a man. So that's like the core of my belief. So it I, that's where I'm like having a hard time navigating everything. Yeah. Like, I really don't believe that that is right for me. Yeah. And I would hate for someone to be like, you have to let me get married in your temple because that would be defiling the sacredness of the temple that I believe in. Yeah. But I would yeah. never go to someone and say like, you cannot be together. Like this is wrong or anything like that. Yeah. Because I can't tell you what's wrong for you. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, you know, you said something in the interview on my podcast where you said, you know, I'm going to love Christ and show my kids my relationship within my religion and my religion relationship with God and hope that they, you know, like come along on that journey. But ultimately, like it's up to them to decide what their morals and ethics and values are. I think all you can do as a human, as a parent, is show your kids healthy love and healthy relationships and representation of all sorts. And, you know, you also said that, you know, your kids can come to you for, with anything and like be that person and own that. And, you know, you, I don't think you can really go wrong with that. And I think there's conversations to be had, you know, I mean, your kids are so little, but, you know, if at 14, one of your kids was like, I think I'm, you know, anything but straight and cisgendered. I think all you can do is love them because, you know, in my experience, all I was looking for was love and acceptance. And that was like the opposite of what I got when I came out. And that has really stuck with me, you know, and I do have a hard time sort of like, um, I don't know, like trusting that I'm enough because if I don't fit a mold, am I going to be accepted? And I think there's room for both. I think there's room for religion. And I think there's room for you to like love Christ and have your beliefs, but like also not disown your kids. Yes. You know, because I think, you know, think of, you know, would you rather them be married to the wrong person in a potentially unhealthy relationship, but it fits the mold of what society says is right? Or would you rather them like, be in the most loving and ha like the relationship I'm in now. Like, I think at least four times a week, we just look at each other and say like, how is it possible that we love each other so much? Aww. Like we can't even, we can't even believe how much we love each other. 
And like life isn't always perfect and relationships are hard, but this by far is the healthiest relationship and the most loved I have ever felt from any human on the planet. And like, doesn't everybody deserve that? You know, because it's such a magical feeling. And it's the core of what humans were designed, I feel like, designed to be yeah. loved, to love and to be loved. Yeah. So I guess is when, so back to when you came out and made your parents and sister made all these deals with you and everything, like <laughs> yeah. over time, has that changed or is that just kind of stuck? No, I think so. So my dad, so he passed away last year. But, you know, he really came around and I give him credit because I, I questioned him on everything and I pushed back on everything. And, you know, he would say some really, you know, heteronormative things like, you know, with my ex, he was like, well, you know, who's going to ask me for permission when, if you want to get married? And I'd be like, but dad, I'm not property. You know, when I would just sort of like poke and question, like, why are you, why I am an adult and not property and can make decisions. But like, you know, he was so ingrained in what he had been raised in and what his family had been raised in and society. And that's just what you did. You know, and to his credit, he'd be like, oh, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That is silly. You know, and I, he'd say, oh, to my niece, you know, do you have any boyfriends? And she was like seven. And I'd be like, or girlfriends. You know, when I just said like, A, she's seven and shouldn't be in a romantic relationship. But for the sake of like, you're wanting to tease her. Why can't you just say like, oh, is there anybody that you like? Mm. And it's just like, it's just changing the language just a little bit. You know, and I really put that into all of my nieces and nephews and my stepkids. I never say when you get married. I say, if you choose to get married. I never say when you have kids. I say, if you choose to have kids. Because just changing that word, just using if instead of when, opens up so much acceptance and is a literal life changer for the guidebook to happiness, I think. Because happiness doesn't, if you don't want kids... You know, and I think if we look at older generations, I think there are a lot of people that had kids because that's what society said. I work with a lady who's like, I didn't want kids, but, you know, I married a military man and that's what you did. And, you know, she's in her 50s now. And but she openly says, like, I didn't want kids, but I just I just had kids because that's what you did. And then like. You know, that's sad because now like kids are a lot of work. It's a really big yes. responsibility. <laughs> I feel like I didn't like kids, but I ended up like my kids are everything. Yeah. But I always said I didn't want kids. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have kids. Yeah. And it's like yeah. super the pathway in, I guess in society, I didn't realize, but in my religion, it's like you get, you get out of high school, the boys go on missions, they come home, you get married. And then how sad for those people who don't fall in that pattern and they're 39 without being married and they're like I'm a failure because my whole life I was taught I need to be married and have a family yeah so, yeah there's just a lot of like I don't know I'm I'm opening my eyes to everything so much and I if I'm truly honest because this is how these podcasts are like when you said um like if he's like do you have a girlfriend at school or, or a boyfriend and then you said you have a girlfriend like inside me felt that felt like <gasps> I don't know if I could say that but yeah so but you don't even have to say that. that. You can even just say, like, is anybody. there anybody at school that you like? 
And then I think that also opens. If she's seven. Like, well, yeah. Like also, <laughs> yeah. I like. I just think it's like such a gendered like. You know, I my even my partner's stepdad will tease my stepson who's ten and say like, "Oh, do you kiss any girls?" And under my breath, I'm always like, "Our oh, boys." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you like know. our kids are gonna be. I mean, kids aren't dumb, and they're gonna be seeing like, like your stepkids have two moms, right? Yeah. Or stuff like that, and so yeah, that used to feel so bad to me. Like, oh my gosh, those poor kids are going to be so confused. And now I'm like, people just need to be loved. So yeah, it's a really weird awakening when you do believe in the man and the woman as a family. But then I've had conversations with people. They're like, why is my family not valid? And your family is valid. And I'm like, wow, I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. I really think that my job is to just be here, to be loving, to be kind and if I believe in God, whatever you let, whatever fall. Whatever yeah. may. So I believe in God. So I think God's going to be the only person that can judge anyone, me, Carling, AJ, but God's not going to come with my lens and go judge you guys. He's going to yeah. come with your lens, knowing your whole life. And that's between you and him. Well, I don't even matter in that situation. Yeah. And honestly, that's how it is with my kids too. Like, yeah. even though I love my kids and I feel like they're mine, I, they're not mine. They're his. I'm just yeah. tending to them while they're here. Yeah. You've been entrusted with their, with their lives here their on earth. Lives. And yeah, and the best yeah thing no pressure. Make sure that they're loved, right? <laughs> yeah. Like loved and happy and loving and contributing members of society. Yes. You know, I think there's like a real, um, especially in like Utah and there's a, there's a really big problem with suicide and homelessness amongst LGBTQ plus youth because at really young ages, they're being kicked out of everything they ever knew because they don't fit the mold. And when you become homeless or unhoused, I think we're supposed to say now, you know, you are so much more likely to be sexually assaulted, murdered, get into drugs, get into sex work. And so like, and those aren't, I mean, no, I shouldn't say those aren't contributing members of society, but like, Instead, shouldn't we be focusing on you being healthy and bringing joy to this world and loving people the way that you want to be loved and paying your taxes? Yeah. You know, like, Pay your taxes. <laughs> and, you know, I think if I had stayed in that marriage and we were trying for kids, you know, and I, it wasn't until my sister gave birth and I was in the room that I was like, you know, kids aren't for me, <laughs> but, you know, I was just, it was an assumption. I had to have kids. That's what you did. It was like, when are you guys going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? It's not, oh, Carlin, you seem really upset. Is everything okay in your marriage? Oh, like, why is this tabletop broken? Is everything, you know, like, it was just like all these things. It was, when are you going to have kids? When is that next check going to be off, you know, check mark? It's so interesting. I'm so happy to have this conversation because, because I have only one worldview and that is in LDS, which was known as Mormon. Um, but people get confused with the, like the FLDS. Oh it's yeah. FLDS. Yeah. Like you're not like out on the prairies with a bunch of yes. sister wives. They're, yes, exactly. Nope. Not that one. <laughs> <laughs> but like in my mind, that was just my culture, but now you're helping me see that this is world culture where yeah. you're dating and it's like, when are you going to get married? And then you're married and it's, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to buy a house? When are you going to have your next kid? Like yeah. It's never just 
And you know, that's a hard question for people who are homosexual and haven't come out of the closet. That's a hard question for women who can't have kids, who desperately want yeah. nothing more than to have kids. Yeah. Like, can we just be more thoughtful in the questions we ask each other? Yeah. Like, are I think instead, like, are you happy? Are you doing something that you love? You know, are you, do you feel fulfilled by your job? You know, what is wrong with, you know, so I say like, if, what if I had stayed in that marriage and we had had kids and, you know, the abuse only got worse or the abuse transferred to the kids, like I'm technically doing everything right, but like, how are, how are those kids now going to enter the world and navigate the world? And, you know, I don't, I don't know that I believe a God would look at that and be like, nope, but that's still right. Instead of looking now, like my partner and I, we share five dogs and two kids. And on birthdays, we have her ex-husband over, you know, to celebrate. And my ex and her are both women and they're best friends. And, you know, like we just live in this, like this beautiful life and we volunteer and we donate money and we rescue animals and we, you know, support people that we love and how is that wrong? You know, I would argue that like, if, if there is a God and he's going to look at what could have been with my marriage or what I have now and still think that that first one is the way I should have gone. Yeah. (sighs) And how could I, and how could anyone argue with you? How could I, that's why I love these stories is because someone who's totally straight, very religious, very like by the book could easily be like, that girl's a lesbian and that is not allowed. But then yeah. he comes and hears your story. And then how can someone argue with you that point? Yeah. You just can't. And it's yeah. not even it's not even anyone's place too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, at the end of the day, when we die, whatever is gonna happen is gonna happen. You know, and I always joke that we're all wrong anyway. <laughs> yeah. I really do think we're all gonna get to wherever we're gonna go and be like, oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? I see. In the see. meantime, let's do what we feel like is right for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Love each other as they're doing what's right for each other, not hurt each other, and bring goodness into this world. And I love what you're doing with your podcast and bringing these conversations out and letting people be themselves and showing compassion. That's kind of my biggest goal is to just create a more compassionate world. So where did you get your idea for your podcast? And did you tell all the story that you wanted to tell? Yeah, no, that is my whole story. It's just this like, you know, what if things had just been a little bit different? And, you know, I ultimately think my parents did the best with what they knew. And, you know, as that next generation, it's my job to just be the representation that I wish I had had. You know, how different would my life have been if I could have watched a TV show that featured or see magazines or commercials or celebrities that were happy, healthy, successful queer people? And I saw myself in that. Like that would have been life changing. And so many people I know in my uh, run around of people are worried about this whole like, you know, Disney having gay couples or like zombies had a them in it and people are so worried about that and they're worried that like they're trying to indoctrinate children really young and stuff like that um do you feel like because i know there's some sex ed things that are wanting to go into like middle schools and elementary schools and teach 
this stuff and like introduce this stuff? Do you think that's too young? Like, do you, or do I you don't think, think it's too young. I think it's going to save so many lives. Like I can tell you at 14, I was very sexually active with my girlfriend, AJ. And you know what we didn't know about was like how to have healthy same sex relations to keep our bodies and souls and minds and hearts safe. Mm -hmm. We were doing it anyway. So these are just weird questions that I feel like yeah. I don't have anyone to ask, right? Yeah. So, ask me ever. I'm like so into it. So I just feel like people think that when kids are learning this, it's going to put ideas in their head. Do you think someone can be turned lesbian or turned gay or turned? No, because I think like, was I not indoctrinated into like straight cisgendered society? And you still couldn't. And I still couldn't, you know, I tried. Oh, God, I tried. I literally got married, you know. Oh, my gosh. From a young age. Like, I can remember being four and five and thinking girls were cute. And I didn't have the language for it. Mm. But then I remember, you know, only seeing on TV and cartoons in everything. There was only, like, straight white people yeah. and cisgendered people. And I don't think, you know, I hear the argument that, oh, like everyone's just coming out as they, them because it's trendy, but like, or would there have been the same amount of they, thems, but we didn't know that existed. We didn't know it was an option. We didn't see it, you know, and I see a lot of like old lesbians who, you know, got married to men and didn't come out until later. And like, they knew they're in their sixties and seventies and eighties. They knew when they were five, six, eight, nine. But they didn't have the language. They didn't have the vocabulary or the representation. I don't yeah. think it. No, I don't think it's going to. It can't I think, damage the straight kids, which is no. what I think people are afraid of. Yeah. It sounds so stupid when you say it out loud. Yeah. But I think if anything, it'll provide more compassion. And like, I think your kids are in this beautiful position to just meet people at face value and not hold judgment against them. Because it's not some big thing. Yeah. You know, I remember when Jojo Siwa came out, she's like, she was on Dance Moms and she came out as gay. And I was so excited because she was like, I had maybe 17 when she came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling my niece and nephew and I was like, oh my God, did you hear Jojo Siwa came out? And they're like, yeah, so like, it didn't even matter to them. They were like, cool. Yeah. Like it wasn't like this earth shattering thing. I have a and friend I whose daughter just came out to her straight. <laughs> yeah like sure why not i love that oh my yeah gosh. yeah it's definitely still i think it's trending in a really really good healthy direction where people aren't like ultimately we would rather them not kill themselves yeah right did you yeah. ever have depression or suicidal ideation or anything like that because of not i being don't able think to so i think i was too so i'm very goal oriented and i'm a people pleaser and so I think I just kept shoving it down and shoving it down and thinking like, okay, I'll try this. I'll try this. Okay, everyone's doing this. I'm going to try that. You know, and I just think like what, how different, how much heartache and, you know, abuse would I have avoided if when I came out at 14, even without the language and the representation, my family had just been like, we love you. That's great. Are you happy? Are they treating you kindly? You know. 
no sleepovers (laughs) because you're 14 instead right but instead I was like oh can my friend AJ sleep over and it was just like no we didn't talk about it so of course and it just like oh my gosh because yeah she could sleep over yeah like I would keep my family rules of like I think see I don't know I change all the time because I don't drink and I used to be like no alcohol in my house and now we have friends and I'm like of course like we just want you here we just want to love you and be friends yeah I have changed like you would have not recognized me even five years ago (laughs) I love that such a different person and I feel so much more whole but I definitely feel like this fight inside me of like what was the norm for me for so long and what I am now feeling is morally right they're trying to collide yeah. Except for the fact that like the prophet of my church keeps saying things like be a peacemaker, build bridges, like stop judging others. And I'm like, see, even the prophet is telling me. So I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, I just think there's something to be said about kids will experiment whether you show them or talk to them about it or not. That's if so you t- if you tell your kids you're never allowed to drink alcohol is bad. We don't drink alcohol. And then they're at a party with a group of friends and their friends are like, do you want to try alcohol? They're not going to come tell you they did it mm-hmm. because you've made it this horribly shameful thing. Or you go opposite and you end up never doing anything. And then you grow up and you think when you see someone drink alcohol, you think they're a bad person. That's yeah. who I was. Like, yeah, if you're drinking alcohol, you're a bad person. And yeah. I'm like, what? What was yeah. I thinking? I know your whole world is just so many new friends that are like drink all the time. And I love being the DD. Like it's one of my favorite titles. Yeah. That's (laughs) so great. They're safe. And also it makes me feel proud of myself because I'm like able to the way that they act when they're drunk and they're finally able to like let down their guard and be free. I feel like that all the time. And I feel like how lucky that I get to feel that way without having something in my body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hanging out with them doesn't make me feel like, oh, I should drink. It makes me feel like I love them as them and they love me as me. And this is a beautiful thing. Like, yeah, it's so crazy how a worldview can change. It reminds me of this story. One day a woman was cooking a ham and she put it in the bowl and cut off about half of the ham that was sticking out of the bowl. Her daughter was watching and asked, mommy, why do you cut off all of that ham? The mother said, I don't know, honey. That's just how my mom taught me. The mom goes to her mother and asks the same question and received the same, I don't know, that's how I was taught. Then they go to the great-grandmother and reiterate the question one more time. And do you know what the great-grandmother said? She said, I just never had a bowl large enough to cook the whole ham. Just think about all those years and all of that ham that was chopped off and wasted just because they kept doing the same thing and never asked questions or used critical thinking to try something new. I think it's time to start allowing questions to be asked and to start thinking for ourselves. I love that analogy. So tell me how you got your idea for your podcast. Yeah, it really came from just, you know, I used to have a co-host and we had been friends since high school and we had just both been through so much. And we were like, we should start a podcast because it sounded like fun and it was a pandemic and you know, that was just what we should do. And, you know, we tossed around true crime and this, that, and the other thing. And it really came down to like, we need to tell our own stories because they're crazy and wild. And there are so many of our own lived experiences that are just so out there that we didn't sign up for. And 
yeah, we just thought like, even if we're interviewing somebody and you can't relate to their entire story, there's going to be a piece of it. Either you're going to learn something or you're going to say, oh, I didn't know somebody else felt that way or experienced that piece of it. And yeah, it's just like my little way. So now I'm a solo podcaster and I continue to share stories from everyday people who have these lived experiences different than mine and hearing, you know, how they got through it or are going through it. Yeah. And giving the space for it. I love how you, you're so loving and kind and you make every story feel super important because as I like went and started listening to more of your podcast episodes, I'm like, my story really does feel like I I devalue my story a lot because I'm like, man, people go through really hard things. (laughs) But I think your story was so important. And like, even in editing it, I was like, it's so amazing because you did come from this kind of like little bubble of a world that, you know, was so great. And you were just clucking along doing your thing and then you had these experiences that really shaped you and to go back and talk about that is so is such a gift yeah it really is and I always think like especially with the I did not sign up for this and beyond the picket fence I always think like would I go back and sign up for this I don't know because the per- I like the person I'm becoming I'm a little less cheery and like magical as I used to be. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think I definitely love humans deeper. So yeah, I think it's all meant to be. Okay. So how can people connect with you? Literally anywhere. Just look up. I did not sign up for this Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I say Twitter, but I don't actually understand Twitter. And yeah, anywhere you get podcasts, that's where I am. I love it. So the question I always end every episode with is, What do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? I think they, I would want them to just see how hard I had to fight for how great my life is. You know, it wasn't just, you know, I don't know if everybody watches Sister Wives, what's that reference? Skittles and beer. It's not just this like perfect life that just, you know, had no hiccups and I fought really hard to feel like I'm just that I'm enough. Do you feel enough today? Yeah, I do. Thank you so much for listening. I'll miss you till next time. But if you need more, no worries. You can go back and listen to the entire first season if you missed it. And or connect with me on Instagram at Beyond with Chelsea, where you never know what's going to happen next. (laughs) Link in the show notes. And remember, Lead with kindness because you never know what's going on for someone beyond their picket fence. Mm -hmm.